study this morning to <clears throat> kind of lay a, um, a benchmark or a ground, a, a, a foundation stone, if you will. And uh, hey, Michael, how you doing? You slipped in on me. <laughs> Good to see you. Uh, and uh, just to kind of lay a foundation and a ground so that the lessons that we teach in the next several weeks um, will be built upon this. And you'll see I've given you a couple of handouts there. Uh, one of them is in full color. Some of you have had this handout before. I've taught on this issue. And I'm not going to reteach the entirety of this lesson because it's really a, uh, about a two-week lesson to do it properly. But we're going to go and touch on some of the uh, important things in this. And uh, to try and... Hey, Miss Florence, good to see you. Well, what an answer to prayer. Look at her coming in. We just were praying for you. Boy, what a joy. What a joy. Amen. How did you respond to it? Are you doing okay with it? Or did it take some out of you? So, good to see you here this morning. Sure, good to have you here. So... Um, <laughs> we miss you too. <coughs> anyway, good to see her here this morning. So uh, anyway, what we're going to attempt to do is to do a um, Old Testament survey over the next 39 weeks. We're going to take one book each week and do a high-level overview of it. We're going to try to give um, some context to them, give the main subjects and the main themes through the book, uh, tell you a little bit about the authors if they're known, and if they're unknown, we'll say they're unknown. So you won't know much about them because we don't know anything about them. Uh, but a lot of them have authors. We'll tell you a little bit about that. We'll tell you a little bit about the times and the culture that was going on during the day. And by doing some of this, it will help us as we read the, the portions of Scripture to have a better contextual understanding of it. And uh, so hopefully this will be a help to you. Along the way, uh, we will be dealing with some issues of um, creation. Obviously, we'll be dealing with the law. Uh, again, we're not going to do an in-depth study of these. We've got to get them done in a week uh, for the most part, and we will come back and deal with them uh, further if it's an area that we need to deal with in, in a, a lot, lot deeper area. Uh, we'll also deal with uh, the judges and the time of the judges, which I think is an interesting study. I love reading the stories of the judges and some of those things uh, that took place during those years. Uh, we'll read about the kings, the United Kingdom of Israel, the divided kingdom of Israel, and the different kings that were involved, whether they were good kings or bad kings and what, what God did through them. And Lord willing, it will take us right up through uh, the end of Malachi and uh, get us ready to move into the New Testament if that's what the Lord has for us at the end of this study. So to, in order to do some of this, I want us to have a, a solid, solid foundation. And so we're going to take today and maybe next week as well uh, to deal with this topic of God's Word. And so uh, if you will look with me in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 16, <coughs> which is um, a, a very uh, uh, familiar passage of Scripture. Most people know this well. <coughs> It says, Paul writes here, all Scripture is given by inspiration. If you have a pen and you're in the habit of underlining in your Bibles, I would underline that word inspiration. That's a key, key word. Something that is very, very important for us to know. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. All of it is given and all of it is profitable. Amen? And that's what I love about God's Word. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness... And notice this in verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, 
Now, that word perfect doesn't mean without sin or without flaw. It means to be fully matured, to be fully grown. So the way we grow in the Christian life is by studying and learning and knowing God's Word. That is what brings maturity in the Christian life, in the spiritual life. That the man of God may be perfect, and then he says this, "...thoroughly furnished unto all good works." Uh, the Bible is the thing that completes us. It causes us to grow in such a way that our lives can be pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so very, very important that we understand this. I want to focus in on this thing of inspiration, though, because we're going to be dealing with the, the, the Bible. Now, the Bible is an interesting book. Uh, it's made up of uh, 66 books individually. It's broken into two sections. The Old Testament, uh, which is 39 books. And then we have the New Testament, uh, which is um, uh, 27 books. And the reason they are divided that way is that there was a before Calvary, which would have been um, the old, what the Bible refers to in the book of Hebrews as the Old Covenant. In the book of Galatians, it talks about this, that the Old uh, Covenant, the old things had to pass away because they were imperfect. Uh, the blood of bulls and goats and calves could never bring the redemption of man. Uh, they were imperfect. They were simply shadows. They were the, the expression of Old Testament saints' faith in what God was going to do at Calvary. Just the same way as we display our faith in what God has done at Calvary. And then we get to the New Testament, and Christ dies on Calvary, and then the New Covenant, the New Testament, according to the book of Hebrews, is ushered in. So they're broken into those two halves. And basically you can put the cross of Calvary right in between them. And uh, that's, that's roughly, now there's a little bit uh, pre-Calvary in the Gospels, uh, but from that point on uh, you find that it's post-Calvary. And so we see a little bit of that uh, in those things. Um, the Bible was written over a period of about 1,600 years roughly. There may, there's some discrepancy in some of the years but roughly that amount of time. And one of the wonderful things that helps to uh, me to know uh, that the, the Bible is the Word of God is because it tells me it is. This is the book that has been inspired, that word inspired, by God. Uh, I love this word inspired. And uh, I, uh, I, I looked up the definition. I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. I looked up the definition of inspired in the Webster's 1828 because I love the way that they oftentimes will use passages of Scripture to give the context of the definitions. And the, uh, the, uh, the definition that they had with, with 2 Timothy 3.16 listed as the contextual Scripture for it was this, the communication of the divine will to be, understood, uh, uh, to be understand, uh, understanding by suggestion or impression on the mind which leave, and I love this, which leave no room to doubt the reality of their supernatural origin. The impression upon the mind, the heart, that can leave no doubt as to the origin of their supernatural, uh, the, the place where it came from, that it was from God, left no doubt. They weren't scratching their heads saying, I wonder if this is what God wants me to write. When the writers wrote Scripture, they wrote it knowing this is what God said. This is what He knows. This is what He wants. The, uh, the uh, word that uh, was translated inspiration, it was actually two words. 
uh, in the original languages, and when the King James translators translated it into inspiration, they used that one because it was the, 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 uh, the best English translation of the two words put together. And I love the idea of this being a no doubt of supernatural origin. This idea that it just so impressed the mind. The two words that were used in the original languages in this particular case were God and breathed, or God and Spirit. And the idea being that God specifically breathed these words. These weren't just, um, these weren't just containing the thoughts of God. These were the thoughts of God. They, word by word. There's not one word in Scripture that God did not intend for it to be there. Every single one of them were there. And I love what uh, Daniel Webster puts here as he tries to describe the, uh, the usage of inspiration in 2 Timothy 3.16 that is so communicated to us about his divine will with the understanding and the suggestion on the mind, leaving no room, no doubt as to the reality of their supernatural origin. This is what God did for about 40-ish, 45-ish writers uh, you say, why are you ish on that? Because there's some books we don't know who the author is. We believe there to be about, I personally believe there's about 45-ish, somewhere in there. It could be, give or take, one or two of those writers that could be wrong. Over a period of 1,600 years. You know what's amazing to me? I don't need any proof that this book is the Word of God. It is the Word of God because it says that it is, and I, that's enough for me. It is because I trust the Lord and when he tells me that this is his word, then I trust him. I take him at his word, just like I do about salvation. I need no other proof. But one of the things that is so uh, helpful to encourage us in our faith, let's, let's use that, all right, is the fact that these various men over a number of years, I'm talking about people who wrote something and then set the pen down, and maybe for a hundred years nothing is written. And then somebody else takes up that same pen and begins to, to not, not literally, but picks up the pen of Scripture and begins to write Scripture again, and there is never in 45 different people who penned or so that penned these scriptures over a period of 1,600 years, there is no contradiction and there is no error in it. That is a supernatural work. I love the fact that it is God's Word. It doesn't just contain it. It is it. Now, we're going to take some time to look into the Old Testament. So we're going to, if you want to take notes, feel free. You're not going to bother me if you write things down. Uh, some people are better at learning by listening, and, and then later on they'll write it down, or they'll review it on the video. Some people are better if they write it, and that's fine. You're not going to bother me if your head's down writing some things. But the Old Testament is divided. We divide it in our English Bibles into five different sections. And I'll give those to you real quickly here. The first section is what we call the Pentateuch. Uh, it's a big word. It just simply means the first five books of the Bible. And it is where God deals with the subject of creation, but primarily, we call this the giving of the law. That's what it's known for, is the giving of the law. So the Pentateuch, and that, if you want to write that word, it's spelled P-E-N-T-A-T-E-U-C-H. Kind of unique spelling there. But the Pentateuch, and these are the first five books of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It ends with Deuteronomy. So Genesis deals with the creation primarily and the call of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and that sort of uh, time period of history. And then it deals with uh, the book of Exodus, which is the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and traveling in the wilderness and getting ready to enter into the promised land. 
Uh, the book of Numbers is a genealogy that's given and a numbering of Israel. Uh, a lot of things that are going on there to try to give some, uh, some background to the, uh, the nation of Israel at that point in time. And what's amazing to me is to see how God prospered the seed of Abraham over just a short number of years, how it grew to a, uh, a nation. And God even said it. He said it'll uh, it'd be more than the, the numbering the sands of the sea. He said it's going to be unbelievable how many uh, folks that were going to be descended from Abraham. And uh, so God uh, certainly divinely blesses there. And then we have Leviticus. or Actually, we have Leviticus before Numbers. Sorry about that. Leviticus is where they gave the law. This was the first time that God gives it to the nation of Israel. And he expounds on that and uh, gives uh, some very, very uh, straightforward laws of a man. Now, we are quick sometimes, if we're not careful, to dismiss Old Testament law. Because we don't, we're not bound by the law any longer. Uh, we're now under grace in the New Testament period of time since Calvary. We live under grace. But that doesn't mean that the law has nothing for us. In understanding the law of God to the Old Testament folks, we understand what the heart of God is on specific issues. And uh, so it does us well to study the Bible in the area of the law. Uh, We do not believe you have to keep the law in order to be saved. But I do believe that it helps us to know the heart of God. Uh, to, to learn more of Him and, and where His holiness is and, and uh, what He expects to study the law of God. And uh, so it, it deals with, and the Bible even says this, I believe Paul was the one that wrote this, that said it is our schoolmaster. It brings us to Christ. It lets us see how far we have fallen short of God's holiness so that we know that there is a need of a Savior and a need of redemption in our hearts and our lives. So that was done in the book of Leviticus. And then, of course, we had the numbers that I already mentioned to you. The fifth book is called Deuteronomy. And uh, that's an interesting book because uh, it's the second giving of the law. God gives it to him a second time. You say, well, why did he do that? I think there's two reasons why he did it. Number one, uh, because we tend to forget easily, don't we? Uh, there are times we need to be reminded of things. And... Uh, so it's very important that sometimes for us to be reminded of some things scripturally. The other thing is, we have a tendency, our, I say we, our flesh nature has a tendency of taking a law that God gives and we try to find every loophole and every way around that law to be right at the edge but not crossing the line. And that is human tendency uh, to try to do this. And so in the second giving of the law, there are several places, quite a few places, where God expounds further on an issue that he dealt with initially in the book of Leviticus. And um, we may look at a handful, handful of those as we go through. But uh, again, just God giving, uh, not new, but just additional clarification to uh, the law. And uh, so very, very important that the book of Deuteronomy is in our Bibles. Uh, God intends for both of them to be there. And so, uh, anyway, that's the Pentateuch. Uh, the second section of books, and these are uh, in order in our Bible, are what we would call the historical books. So we have the Pentateuch, which are the first five books of the Bible. Then we have the historical books. The historical books are everything from the book of Joshua all the way through to the book of Esther. Uh, Joshua, all the way through to the book of Esther. And uh, these are literally 
not just Bible and Scripture. These are the written history of Israel. If you go over to Israel, they still use these books as their written record of history for their nation. Um, so these are not just a Bible or something that is Scripture, but they'll use them to teach history. Like we would go to school and get a U.S. history book. It just so happens that their history of their nation is found in Scripture. And they are used as historically accurate accounts of their nation. And it talks about kings. It talks about people. And by the way, there are people over the years that have tried to refute Scripture. Uh, you know, these, these, these intellectual type, you know who I'm talking about, these guys that get up there, they, uh, they're like Ben Stein, you know, they got the dry eyes uh, kind of personality. Well, I'm, I've been studying, you know, they put the glasses down. Well, I've been studying for years, and uh, I've got Ph.D., Ph.D., J.J.B., X.Y.Z., all these degrees. And let me tell you something now, the Bible, the Bible can't be taken literally. There's some there's some things it talks about these people in the the historical books that we can find no record of anywhere else. I think the Bible's wrong in those areas. Can I tell you this? It's amazing to me that just in my lifetime, how many times I've seen men of intellect, men of education, come out and make statements like that, only to find out even a few times in my lifetime, in an archaeological dig, all of a sudden they come across the people they never knew existed before. And guess what? It's the group that the Bible spoke about. Isn't that amazing? It's not that the Bible needs to catch up with society. Society needs to catch up with the Bible. It is authoritative. It's authoritative in, in, in its uh, context of history of, the, of, the, of the, um, uh, uh, the nation of Israel. And while it contains history, it's not a history book. It's God's Word. Isn't that amazing? And as such, it's without error. It's without contradiction. And so we can take the history of the nation of Israel and say we believe it to be true because it's God's Word. And so we have the historical books. Then we have the books of poetry. The books of poetry. These are from Job all the way through the Song of Solomon. Job all the way through the Song of Solomon. And these are the poetic books. Boy, there's wonderful, wonderful literature written there. Uh, as you read through it, they just are, are really just amazing writings. And, um, and then we have what are called the major prophets and the minor prophets. Those are the last two, the major prophets and the minor prophets. And the reason <clears throat> there's a difference is because the major prophets were more important than the minor prophets. No, don't write that down. That is not true. It's all good. They were all prophets. They were all saying, thus saith the Lord. The reason there's a difference is because of the size of their work. All right? So basically you have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations is included because Jeremiah also wrote that. So you have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, those five books, because of the volume of what they wrote. They are known as the major prophets, not because of importance. I don't know how many times I've talked to people and they get that messed up. They say, well, those are just minor prophets. Okay, but that's just as important as the major ones. They're just less of it, okay? doesn't mean that it, you don't take as much uh, stock in what they have to say. In fact, sometimes the minor prophets are even uh, dealing with some things that are more stringent and more powerful in some areas uh, than some of the major prophets perhaps would deal with. 
So uh, you can't look at them as the major and minor being because one is more important than the other. It's literally just because of the size of the work that they wrote. So our major prophets are these, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. So those five books are the major prophets. And then we have what are referred to as the minor prophets, and that's the rest of them. Okay, so that would go all the way from Hosea all the way to Malachi, or Malachi. <laughs> okay, the, the, the proper etiquette of saying uh, Malachi is Malachi, by the way. A lot of people pronounce it, they're like, Malachi? Malachi. Um, but anyway, so the minor prophets uh, are the remainder of the books. Now, this is how our Bible is broken apart. All of it, all of it given by inspiration of God. All of it is profitable and is there to help us to become more perfect, more mature in the Christian life. And all of it is there to truly furnish us unto all good works. And very important that we understand these things. Look with me if you will in 2 Peter. <clears throat> 2 Peter. We're going to move quickly through this now. Oh my, we're not going to make it through this all this today. So, Second uh, Peter chapter number one, and uh, we'll begin in verse number twenty-one. Second Peter chapter number one, in verse number twenty-one, <coughs> Peter writes this: For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. So all of these scriptures that were there were not given by the will of man. But notice this: But holy men of God spake as they were moved. By the Holy Ghost. This is, a, this is an interesting statement. If you have the pen underlined, moved by the Holy Ghost. Because this is synonymous with the word that Paul used in 2 Timothy 3.16, which was inspiration of God. God breathed. They were moved by the Spirit of God, by, the, by His breath, by, by His Holy Spirit. Uh, it's interesting to me that in Genesis, when creation took place... Uh, the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And it was so, wasn't it? Whatever God spoke, it happened. When it came to uh, the end of <clears throat> the revelations uh, of, of that He was giving, uh, not the book of Revelation, but at the end of all of the revelations that he gave throughout the course of time, over these 1,800 years or so, he got to a place where he said, this is the end, there is no more. I'm not giving any additional revelation beyond this time. It's very important for us to understand this, that uh, up until the time of John, uh, we find there still being revelation given. John died at about 94, as best we can tell, maybe 95 years of age. He's the only apostle that lived a full life and died a natural uh, death. And uh, at 95 years old, uh, he finally dies. About 100 A.D., we think, somewhere in that range. The Apostle Paul, who oftentimes we think came later, because he was one born out of time, the Bible says, he died probably somewhere around 64 or so A.D., uh, and so he died even before John did. There are two, two passages of Scripture. One is found in the book of Galatians where, uh, where, uh, uh, where um, uh, Paul says, Though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you or any other... Uh, uh, let, me, let me go to it. Let's go to Galatians 1. Let me quote it correctly for you because I want you to see it clearly. And I wish I could quote it verbatim, but we've got to look it up. So 
Galatians chapter number 1, and uh, bear with me for about two or three more minutes here. <clears throat> Galatians chapter number 1, let's look in verse number uh, 6. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that uh, which we have preached unto you, let him be a curse. So already in about 64 or 65 A.D., God is winding down the new revelation of Scripture. Already, Paul is saying, look, we're starting to wrap this thing up now. This is, this is getting to be a completed body. There should not be anything more. There should not be anything additional regarding the gospel of Jesus Christ. About 30 years later or so, uh, we find John, who's the final of the apostles, uh, who were used by God, these holy men that were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. We find in Revelation 22, if you'll take time to turn over there, this is what we believe to be the final apostle, the one that was used to give Scripture uh, and the revelation of God. <clears throat> and he makes this statement in verse number 18. Uh, revelation 22 and verse number 18. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall, what's the next word here, add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man shall take away from the words of this book, of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city from the things which are written in this book. We find that finally, at the end of all of the apostles, the last one living, the last one used to pen Scripture, he gets to the very end of his last revelation. He says, that's all, folks. Don't add anything else. Don't, add, don't take anything from it. Don't add anything to it. We can have full confidence as we launch our, our study into the Old Testament and the New Testament we can have full confidence that this book is a complete revelation of everything that God has for us. There is no new revelation giving. For, for somebody to come and say, well, God told me this, and it is in contradiction to Scripture, or it is outside of Scripture, what it teaches. There may be... Um, <laughs> a will going on in our hearts, but it is not new revelation from God. He does not give new words of truth. He doesn't come out and say, well, I know you won't find this in Scripture, but God told me this is what you need to be doing. If you ever hear this pastor say that, you better find a new pastor. <laughs> because now we're getting outside of Scripture. And by the way, don't ever get involved in a church that has a man that will stand up and say, God told me this, I know it's not here, but he gave it to me. We don't have that going on anymore. John said, that's it. We're done. And he signed off. And God said, here you go. It's yours. And uh, next week, because we didn't have time to do it this week, bring your handouts back. And we're going to look at how we came up with our English Bible, which we believe to be divinely inspired and preserved Word of God and uh, without error and without fault in the King James Version. We believe that for a number of reasons that we'll talk about next week. And uh, so please try not to miss, if you can at all help, 
the foundation of what we're getting ready to build on top of is crucial. If that foundation is weak, then the other things that we teach about the Old Testament uh, are going to crumble. And you need to be able to have full faith and full confidence in sharing what the Bible says with other people, knowing that it doesn't just contain some truth, it is all truth, and it is all from God. It's not our opinion. Uh, We are an independent Baptist church. Our doctrine does not come from any hierarchy that demands that we have to follow its doctrine. At Keith Heights Baptist Church, we get our doctrine from this book. And we take the Baptist name because one of the things that I believe the Baptists excel in is encouraging people to make this book its sole authority of faith and practice. Baptists may have faults in other areas, but that's one thing I love about them, is that they teach us, they push people to this book and say, listen, if if an angel from heaven came and taught you something else, don't you believe it? This book is all there is. It's all the revelation that God has given to us. And so I hope that will be a help to you. Don't miss next week. We're going to deal with the, the uh, inspiration or the uh, preservation of Scripture and the uh, translation work and how we came across our King James Version of the Bible, why we believe it to be the only version, translated version, that is uh, preserved without error, uh, the, the actual Word of God itself to us. So uh, make sure you are here next week if at all possible. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we're so thankful for your Word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it. Lord, may you uh, encourage us, strengthen us along the way, and uh, help us to have uh, our hearts built up in faith. May we gain a more complete and further working knowledge of your Word. May you uh, help use it to perfect us and to make us thoroughly furnished. And so, Father, we ask that you would help guide and direct our uh, time and our hearts and our minds as we study these things over the next uh, number of weeks. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.